0: You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Wallner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shah coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news, and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is December 16th, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bombin, how have you been? This is uh, 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 our last season of
1: the last episode of season two. <laughs> yep. I don't want to stop doing this, Ryan. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this just is ending it like that. <laughs> <end. Yeah. laughs> no, this is just the last episode of 2022. It, this has been a great season, right? Like we, I think we clearly exceeded all the different goals that we had set for ourselves. We covered yeah. so many different topics. So I'm just super pumped. Uh I hope our audience, which has grown over the year also enjoys all the content that we put out. And I know we have like a summary thing at the end of this podcast planned as well. Uh, But yeah, I've been doing great. I think uh, finally the winter is here. <laughs> uh, yeah. We got our first snow. I was glad that I didn't have to shovel it because it wasn't like it didn't accumulate as much. Uh, I was being lazy. Uh, and uh, well, we don't we don't <laughs> want to hear you talking about snow uh, because we know where you're going next
0: week. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna yeah, be I in the sunny beaches of, of what Puerto
1: Rico? Puerto Rico, yes. <laughs> uh, I just like I I booked this trip. I think a month month and a half back, and now I look at the weather next week, and it's supposed to rain. So I was like. Ugh. Okay. Hopefully that goes away. I am keeping my fingers and toes and all my extremities crossed. So that I don't want at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I do want to like actually go out and do things, not stay inside a hotel or stay inside a bar. So like, yeah, fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy it. That's for, that's for certain.
1: Thank you. How about you? How have you been? Oh, this last two weeks, I I, I was telling you
0: earlier, my Mm -hmm. uh, my whole family has been sick constantly since we got back from reInvent. I'm not blaming (laughs) reInvent at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I came back back to sickness and and now I was telling you earlier, you know, we're just like kind Mm -hmm. of running down and continuously sick. And I'm hoping just this means that because we're tackling the sickness before the actual Christmas holiday, that we'll be good to go during and
1: after. um, Oh, yeah. Get it out of the way, right? And then you can party. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So that's the hope. And I know we're looking forward to the time off and getting into 2023. Can't believe it's already here.
1: I know. Yeah, this, this year just went through quickly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, if you're wondering, uh, today's episode is going to be about Service Mesh. We're going to do another mm-hmm. sort of intro 101 style episode with just Bob and I. We don't have a guest today. Uh, we wanted to make it sort of our last episode of the season um, with a nice and cozy sort of audience here. Mm-hmm. And um, But before we get into what Service Mesh is and sort of a high-level overview, we're going to cover a tiny bit of news, it looks like.
1: Yep. So uh, I know we are closing twenty twenty two out, and we do have a couple of funding rounds. Uh, much needed. Like I, I think after the first quarter of this year, we barely heard any acquisitions or any funding rounds. So this, this is this is good news. Uh, people in the Kubernetes ecosystem are still raising money. Uh, this means that. People are not losing their jobs, uh, and and they are, they they can survive the next year or next couple of years uh, till they need that next funding round or till the market settles down and they can go IPO. Uh, but Trilio, one of the vendors in the community's data protection ecosystem, raised seventeen million dollars. Uh, and the way they have structured this is they raised Series B in December of twenty twenty. And they announced that this $17 million is just an extension of the Series B round. So I'm assuming they got like a flat round done. Uh, they they made a few changes in their exec team. Uh, so the CEO now becomes executive chairman. They appointed a new CEO to lead the team with new funding. So hopefully they can do better next year. And then uh, the second vendor that I wanted to talk about was in the Kubernetes security ecosystem. Again, we know that security is kind of the hottest thing in the ecosystem right now. Uh, everybody yeah. wants security. Um, so, Snig, one of the vendors there, raised a whopping one hundred and ninety-six point five million dollars. This is not their valuation. This is the actual um, amount of money they raised at a seven point four billion dollar valuation. So, this is uh, Series G for them. Um, uh, they they did raise a Series F. Uh, in 2021 uh they raised 530 million dollars at a 8.5 billion dollar valuation just looking at these numbers for series F and G, this looks like a down round but again this is more than enough money to help them go through the next year a couple of years and make sure that they, they can survive as a company so uh I congratulations so. to everyone at snick uh let's let's keep doing this thing pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me
0: nothing extra just perfection and a straw Absolutely. It makes me wonder how many letters can you go in series funding rounds? As long as <laughs> you the have a record. Z? Oh,
1: <laughs> what's the record? I don't know, but as long as VCs are willing to give you money for a part of your company, and you can keep going to like Z and what maybe. What happens English, after Z though? Uh maybe Greek alphabets? Alpha Beta. <laughs> I don't want to do the A-A-A-B-A-C thing. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody knows, if anybody's been a part of that or
0: knows the answer to this, yeah. send us a message. I'm actually very curious what happens after Z. If you can have that many uh, funding rounds that is. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, everyone uh, over at SNCC, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I only have one uh, update for news. It's, again, in a, in a slow week on um, news here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if anyone follows sort of the, the persistence and, 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 and sort of Storage space in Kubernetes. Uh, they probably know the name Chris Evans uh, from Blocks and Files. Um, he does a number of great articles over there, um, and he just put out a um, another article, sort of an update to one he's done in the past of comparing <laughs> and contrasting cloud native storage, the performance of them, and, and giving exact sort of environments that he's running these tests on and what it looks like. So if you want to go check out you know, um, this article and, and compare some of the sort of um, more mainstream and, and popular sort of cloud native storage companies out there and how they uh, compare to each other, uh, obviously take it with a grain of salt. You know, everything <laughs> is, um, everything's going to be, you know, uh, ideal in that scenario. But, um, you know, I think it's still overall a really interesting way to look at the whole ecosystem and market. Yeah. Um, with that... Um, Bob, and let's, let's jump into our, uh, topic today, which is <clears throat> what is service mesh or another way to say this is service mesh one-on-one. I know this is sort of a, um, a newer topic to myself. I mean, I, I've, mm-hmm. I've been aware of service meshes for a long time in this ecosystem, but never really tried to dive head first. And I know we like trying to do these new types of 101 episodes. So why don't you kick us off with sort of a high level, sort of overview of your research around service
1: mesh. Yep, for sure. So uh, one thing, as you were building up to that question, one thing I realized is I don't have like a dictionary definition or a one-on-one definition for service mesh, but uh, I have like what it means, things like that. So uh, service mesh, if I just put it plainly, right, helps you add functionality to your applications that are running on Kubernetes that you don't have to code as part of your application. What does that mean? So things that there are four major buckets uh, that service mesh provides functionality in and around the first one being security. So, uh, there are implementation models that we look at, but let's talk about these four buckets first. First is security. So, what does this mean? If you want different microservices in your applications to use MTLS to uh, for that inter-service communication, uh, instead of coding all of this functionality into your application code, you can just rely on a service mesh like Istio to provide that functionality. And this can be done through, let's let's start the discussion by, by, by talking about the sidecar based model, right? So uh, you don't have to uh, code anything inside your application uh, code, but you can have a sidecar container inside your Kubernetes pod that provides this functionality. So any traffic that goes out from your microservice to another microservice, all of that traffic is encrypted uh, using MTLS uh, by the sidecar container and not by your application code. So this removes the that uh, uh, overhead that developers need to worry about, to build this functionality inside their application, the second is uh, connection policies or uh, connection functionality. So, uh, let's say if you are doing an alpha beta test or a blue green deployment test, right? You want to test out different versions of your applications. You want to uh, ensure or enforce some sort of traffic splitting or retry policies or circuit breaking for your applications. Uh, that's where service mesh can help you as well. Uh, using a service mesh implementation, you can let's say you you have. Uh, a blue and a green version of your application running, you can uh, ask Service Mesh to enforce that. 90% of the traffic continues to uh, go to the blue deployment, the older deployment, but then 10% of the traffic can go to the green deployment as well, so to try out the new newer features and see how users interact with it. So that's another functionality that Service Mesh brings to the table. Then you have observer, observe or observability, uh, which is where you can use the Service Mesh dashboard to actually see how your application is communicating with uh, b- between all the different components. So how are uh, which so microservice is talking to which microservice? You can figure all of that out. You can get a neat diagram, and then you can also use this not just to see how traffic is flowing, but also to identify where the bottlenecks are in your application. So if a specific part of your application is not doing well, uh, maybe you need to. Uh, you need to improve the code or enhance that code to make sure that it's not the bottleneck like service mesh can help you identify that with, with not just traffic flow, but also logs and metrics. And then finally, uh, you, you can use a service mesh deployment to enforce control. So uh, let's say you have a three-tiered application, right? In a, in a microservice deployment, you have your uh, your front-end component, a middleware and a backend database this is not how a microservice ap- application looks like but this is what i, sh- I could come up with right now <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say your ui shouldn't be talking directly to your database uh you it should just be talking to your middleware layer uh, and this is where uh, this is how you can enforce that you can enforce which components can talk to other components inside your distributed application so those are like the four different buckets uh, of functionality that service mesh brings to your application or brings to your kubernetes cluster
0: yeah, absolutely. And you brought up sort of, you don't have a, an actual definition. And, and mm-hmm. if you look up what is service mesh, like if you literally do this in Google right now, you'll find a lot about um, a lot of the same language, meaning mm-hmm. that it's a separate infrastructure layer. You'll pretty much <laughs> always see those terms, at least is what I've, I've seen. Um, and, it, and it really helps as a, a way for there to be a separate infrastructure layer on how applications share data with one another. right? Yep. Um, and that's like at its core, that's really what it's doing, but it gives you all these other functionalities around uh, control and security, but the 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 key there is, um, and I think you know this is a good segue into what I wanted to talk about is really around like why does service mesh exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get all this functionality to a separate layer, but um, what did it look like before? So why does service yeah. mesh exist? And and. You know, we have to talk a little bit about the challenges that we've seen in microservices and that architecture compared to sort of that monolithic traditional architecture, which is, you know, um, a monolith is everything's kind of built into a big code base, typically Mm -hmm. running on, you know, a single server or a, a very large server sometimes with HA, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the components and things like that of that application will be, you know, all together. And the communication between say like an orders and, um, a checkout and uh, a ui component are all within that code base and mm-hmm. so they don't have to communicate over the network in a monolith yep. right it's just you know within a giant probably java code base <laughs> or something like that <laughs> no 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 uh, um, hard feelings on java or anything but um, you know it was designed fundamentally different and as mm-hmm. we started to break that monolith up and provide you know small teams working on small services. That checkout service is now its own little microservice, and that mm-hmm. um, shopping you know front end is all its own little microservices. And so they depend on each other now, and they run completely separate in containers. As we've seen, as, as we've seen microservices architectures, um, you know, come to fruition with things like Kubernetes. And those communications between those services are now. Ah, uh, more. You know, they're more complex. They're a little more fragile unless we do um, have something like service mesh, right? Mm-hmm. Where sort of, sort of, and and I and I say this because there's there's a there's a value in adopting service mesh once you get to uh, an actual microservices deployment. Yep. meaning that I don't see like you know if you're running a, a monolith or even a monolith in a container which happens right there's less there's less yeah there's less value in in a service mesh really yeah. I think you have to kind of dive deep into that microservice mm-hmm. architecture and that's where you get sort of the the for free components that are that don't have to exist in the application yeah. logic anymore right so the monolith traditionally would do all the the retry logic, right? If it had to talk to another service, it would go ahead and, you know, implement in code how many times to retry and what backoffs to do. Um, it would implement some kind of telemetry, sending somewhere. It would um, configure, you know, certificates and TLS and that kind of stuff where you can think of all those components that used to be in a larger code base now separate from a microservice. They can... Um, and and you'll see this looking up, you know, service mesh is one of the value propositions is application teams can just focus on business logic Yep. Um, and not really worry about all this other sort of uh, communication logic and security uh, leave that to the service mesh, right? It kind of exists right next to as a, uh, as a component to the application. So, you know, that, that I think, Um, is important to understand of like why do we even care about implementing Mm -hmm. a service mesh and it really kind of dives into uh, microservices
1: yeah and i think to extend extend your point right as you It definitely removes the overhead from a development perspective uh, that you don't have to code in all of this additional logic as part of your business logic, but it also removes the overhead, right? Like microservices are supposed to be small and compact and just do one thing really right in in the right way. If you keep adding the same logic over and over again, you are adding a lot of overhead. So I think the, the model that started by just having like a sidecar container inside your application pod really worked for service meshes. So, uh, I think next let's talk about like what, what the sidecar model is, right? Like what, what, how it was implemented, what are, what were the benefits that it provided? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and before we dive into that, right. Mm-hmm. What a sidecar is, what I want to kind of step back and, and, and talk about something that helps me fully understand this, um, a little bit better before not knowing a term like sidecar that well, right. Mm-hmm. Obviously like being in this industry, sidecar is something we talk about a lot. But if you're not familiar with it, it might be a little confusing. So, yeah. um, in terms of components, right? A service mesh is really um, a a set of proxies. And if you're familiar with proxies um, in a traditional sense, you might set up a proxy in your corporate or use a proxy in your corporate day job um, that will intercept, you know, traffic and do something with it, secure it, you know, uh, you know that kind of thing, right? Uh, ultimately, their uh, service mesh is a, a whole sort of uh, concept around how to provide sort of proxying services for your individual microservices, um, and those proxies often sit in sidecars, um, and I, and I, and it's not the only way to implement it. But I did want to bring that up before you dive into sidecars. But I I now I now uh, be <laughs> I now say <laughs> that you can you can go into sidecars.
1: Gotcha. No. Thank you. Thank you for that background. Right. Uh, sidecars. Right. Uh, Again, this was a way for Kubernetes to ensure that you can have non-application code as part of your Kubernetes pod. So uh, I know when we started with Docker, containers were the smallest addressable unit, but in Kubernetes, that becomes a pod and a pod can have one or more containers. So this enabled functionality like init containers, which help you do certain things before your application container actually starts. And then sidecar containers can provide this additional Capability like the MTLS functionality, the security capabilities, things like that. So that's where a sidecar model comes in. Uh, you are running it as part of your application code. So this makes a few things easier. Uh, as we said, with service meshes, the developer doesn't have to worry about writing all of this logic. All you need to do is add that container into your Kubernetes pod for all your application components, and then deploy your application and everything just works. Uh, So that's definitely a a great benefit, right? It simplifies communication uh, by not adding a lot of overhead. Yeah, and ultimately
0: ultimately Mm -hmm. what you're getting is, you're doing a very similar deployment as you always would be with the, mm-hmm. the typical YAML you're using. You're just adding a little bit more YAML and, and, a, and, a, and another container exists within that pod. And that, that makes up sort of the data plane component of a, of a service mesh.
1: Yep and and it, it this helps with both layer layers four functionality and layer seven functionality so layer four can just be the mtls functionality that we just spoke about but all the the intelligent traffic routing or the the control aspects all of that can be handled at layer seven as well so you bring both of these functionalities uh, by just adding these sidecars uh, inside uh, and injecting these sidecars in, inside your applications If you don't have any other uh, challenges to talk or or benefits to talk about, I I really want to talk about challenges next.
0: Yeah, I think we should absolutely talk about challenges. Let's go into it.
1: Okay, so one of the challenges, okay, even though sidecars seems really easy, one of the challenges that we have seen or the ecosystem has seen is the over provisioning of resources. Since this is a sidecar container, at the end of the day, you will have to specify requests and limits uh, as part of your Kubernetes pod to make sure it has enough resources and the sidecar itself doesn't become the bottleneck of your application. So even if your product uh, if your application is not utilizing all of its resources you always have to uh, provide enough resources to your sidecar containers as if it was operating at full load so this resulted in a lot of over provision resources a lot of waste when it comes to uh, like the cpu and memory that is needed by your application from your kubernetes clusters uh, it also uh, it, like each server needed to uh, or each application component needed a sidecar container so basically if you didn't add it from before day zero uh if you are adding it at day two this means that your application needs a restart like it it needs to come back online uh for this communication to work. So when you're doing this at scale, or maybe across different applications, this did result in some applications like uh, uh, being being restarted, which is not definitely, which is not definitely something that you want as part of your application code, I I think more, uh, more uh, challenges include things like uh the the sidecar upgrade requires restarting of application, not just adding it from from a, a, a day zero perspective, but also any any new functionality that gets introduced in your sidecars uh, needs a restart of your application itself. And then I think one main thing was around jobs. Like Kubernetes has a has a construct called Kubernetes jobs, right? Which does one thing and then it dies off. But even for that job, you needed a, a, a sidecar container and the sidecar container had a long life than the job, which just did one thing and, and left. So you had a lot of host containers living around in, in your Kubernetes cluster.
0: Yeah, some some overhead for sure mm-hmm. there. And, you know, I think <clears throat> Kubernetes does a lot to enable a service mesh, but there's mm-hmm. also some things that are a little bit of an anti-pattern or, or a yeah. friction point for, you know, developing it with the sidecar model. Not to mention, right, every, you know, to adopt a service mesh, you... you uh, Basically, are adding a network hop, mm-hmm. so to speak, into your application. Meaning, typically, your application would you communicate directly with whatever other service. In in a lot of cases, but now you're going to go to the proxy and then you go out to the proxy. That's something I think um, is that comes up you know, often, but it's one of those, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really get away with that if you're adding an infrastructure layer to do this kind of stuff in. You could think of if it was baked into your application, you would still be performing that logic. It mm-hmm. just wouldn't be sitting next to it. So I don't love that one, but that's definitely one to think about. Um and just the overall complexity, right? You're adding, you know, especially from like a troubleshooting and maintenance, if you're the person sort of looking after mm-hmm. these uh these clusters with with meshes, you now have, you know, Literally double the amount of containers to to potentially <laughs> you know monitor and, and, yeah. and kind of troubleshoot if something goes wrong. Um, so definitely uh, some downsides, but it also right the sidecar model is a proven model in Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. So it is it is. Um, a way to really, um, you know, battle test uh, service yep. mesh, so to speak. And I know even even with some of the advances in service mesh that we're going to talk about next, mm-hmm. you know, Sidecar still exists, right? It's yep. not like going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's a, a good segue into you know what what does service mesh advances look like to
1: yeah and uh, to to your point right that sidecars are still around and are not going anywhere in the near future like even if you look at the day zero event called service mesh con uh, at KubeCon detroit okay obviously i didn't attend it in person but to get ready for this episode uh, i w- i did go and watch maybe 70% of the content on that channel so uh, we'll have a link for it uh, on on uh, on a, in our show notes as well so you can go and watch those videos uh, but like there are going to be pros and cons for any model. Uh, But for organizations that were just using this sidecar based model for basic functionality or layer four functionality, like MTLS, just MTLS, but they were adding a lot of overhead, which was not needed. Like all the layer seven functionality was not even needed for their application. They just needed MTLS and they still had to have one container per application pod. So that's where something like uh, an ambient mesh comes into the picture. So ambient mesh uh, basically removes this dependency of having one sidecar container per application pod, and it moves it to one proxy per Kubernetes worker node. So instead of, let's say you were running 20 different application pods on one single Kubernetes node, instead of having 20 different proxies, you have one proxy, maybe a bigger instance of that proxy, but running on that node, which handled Things like layer four MTLS encryption or communication uh, 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 between different application components. So if you if your application had to communicate between nodes or between services, it goes to this proxy that's running on the node, and then it's going to the different node or or a different microservice running on the same node. So it it yeah. removes that overhead.
0: And I will clarify, Ambient Mesh is sort of a name that we're familiar with Mm -hmm. in the Kubernetes ecosystem tied to a very popular service mesh um, in the CNCF called Istio. But really, an Ambient Mesh is is also called a shared agent, meaning that you have, like Bobin said, a single uh, proxy agent on the node and and it's shared amongst uh, applications on that node that are running.
1: Yep, and it definitely helps... uh, Resolve some of the challenges that we just discussed with the sidecar model, right? It reduces costs. So, like instead of having a proxy per container or per, per pod, you have a proxy per node. Uh, it becomes a multi-tenant proxy as well. And uh, the way Ambient Mesh work is this proxy just does L4. So all if you all you need is just mTLS functionality. Just having this one proxy per node does everything for you or handles mTLS uh, thing for you. Uh, it also decouples the proxy from application, so it simplifies operations. So you don't have to go and add this container inside your yaml file for your deployments uh, if the proxy needs update you don't have to restart your applications all of those benefits from a simplifying uh, ongoing operations does come into the picture and then it improves performance because uh ju- since it just does L- L- l4 uh, if, you, if you just need mtls you, you have a faster way of communicating between different components in your application so uh, those are yep. some of the benefits that ambient mesh brings to the table as well
0: yeah, and if, if if anyone's familiar with like the concept of virtual uh, overlay networks, it, yep. it conceptually is similar in this case where you have a, a, an agent on the node. Um, you know, if, if folks are familiar with Open vSwitch, this was very similar in the network space where you had an agent running um, a network and could do basically tunnels um, and encapsulate um, basically network packets over sort of that tunnel to another node and then kind of decapsulate and get it to the right application and those kind of things. This works in a similar way from uh, a service mesh component where it has those tunnels from node to node Mm -hmm. and provides access to the specific application. Now, uh, I will say this, and and this brings back up the sidecar thing, is that, you know, to do other things beyond level uh, layer four, um, there still is the concept of a proxy, a waypoint proxy in, mm-hmm. in the ambient mesh uh, world, they call waypoint proxies. But yep. this basically acts as um, a, a container-based proxy that we typically saw with sidecar. But I believe uh, in, in at least in this architecture, it would run per namespace. But but what happens is if you need to do more than layer four, it'll get to that destination. It won't go right to the application. It'll go to a waypoint proxy. Basically, if you're familiar with just the concept of waypoints, it's got to hit mm-hmm. another point and then be processed for layer seven and then back down to the application. So, um, you know, depending on your needs, um, there still is, you know, more added in terms of, um, you know, compute and those kind of things, but it's still uh, overall much more efficient because you're looking at like namespace versus like every single pod. Oh
1: yeah. And that's so true, right? Like you're not losing any functionality that was in the sidecar model just by moving to this ambient mesh based deployment. You still get all of these things by, by that l4 proxy and that WavePoint l7 proxy so w- having one per namespace definitely makes it easier right i don't i haven't st- spoken to a lot of people that are running multiple applications inside the namespace namespace usually becomes that construct which m- which encapsulates your application that's deployed on the kubernetes cluster or at so, least a,
0: yeah or at least a tenant which represents yep. some type of application yet. yes
1: and, and then going back to your uh, secure tunnel between the nodes using L4, uh, I know uh, you described how it works for people who want to learn more about it. Uh, it's called the HBone protocol, so HTTP-based overlay network encapsulation. H1. I like H1 more. I didn't know what it stood for, but it was so cool. (laughs) Uh, And then I was like, okay, maybe I should know what what it actually stands for. So H1, and then it establishes a Z tunnel between your different nodes uh, to enable this secure communication between all the application components across nodes. Exactly, I think
0: so, and, and and that's a good point that you brought up before. You're not losing mm-hmm. anything, right? Whether yeah. you're doing it as a sidecar or doing it with more of the shared proxy, uh, shared agent mechanism. Um, there's pros and cons to both. I would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, take a look at both. There's a whole slew of companies out there, which I actually want to go through some of them because <laughs> there are a ton that we put mm-hmm. on here. Um, but if you're if I don't think we went through sort of the overall list of things like uh, mutual TLS is definitely one of the biggest reasons mm-hmm. people adopt this because. Yeah, having to conceptually put this into every development team and every application is a lot of overhead versus just like, don't worry about it, let the service mesh do it. There's a lot of benefit there. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, security being a, a forefront. But there's also, you know, generally service discovery, load balancing, encryption, mm-hmm. uh, failure recovery, high availability, um, you know, latency aware load balancing based on sort of the control aspects that Bob was talking about, uh, success rate stuff, uh, transparent traffic shaping, we used to call this canary uh, deployments, (laughs) but very similar in in that case. So there's a lot you can do uh, from that data plane. And then, you know, that's only the data plane, right? And then the control plane just adds so much to the overall sort of SRE sort of concept of being able to manage policies from a source of truth and uh, monitor those and, and, and do all the telemetry and traces that, you know, really we've talked about in general with microservices and kubernetes right this seems like you're adding a lot of complexity but if you are really adopting these things they're going to you know add a a lot of overall benefit um and um you know those are all provided by many of these service message i'm going to go through uh, a list of service message here um and I can't speak for every one of them if they provide all of those services that I just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was surprised uh, when I started going through this list um, at you know which ones definitely stand out versus the ones I didn't know about. So <clears throat> there's uh, the AWS App Mesh. There's uh, mm-hmm. Azure Service Fabric Mesh. Um, it's also interesting to see how these, these are named. <laughs> but um, there's the Buoyant Conduit. I didn't mm-hmm. know about that one. Um, the yeah. F5 Nginx Service Mesh. Right. And if you're like, oh, I know that, you know, NGINX, that's because, you know, NGINX, we know as something that can be provide mm-hmm. provide a proxy component that um, in traditional IT, I should yep. say. So uh, the Google Anthos Service Mesh, HashiCorp Console can, you know, provide service discovery and very, you know, similar mesh technology. Istio, which, uh, or Istio, I guess, depending Ooh, on how you say it. I know. It. <laughs> I was like, okay, I've never heard Istio. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and and that's the I think the popular one in CNCF um, yeah. and sort of in the
1: Kubernetes ecosystem. Yeah, for the longest time, it was like yeah. outside CNCF, and now it's a yeah. sandbox project. So everybody who was already using Istio celebrated, like had uh, had a party when when CNC they Google actually donated the project to CNCF.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um and Kong mesh, Kuma, Linkerd was another very popular one for a long time. I, one of the original ones, I think Linkerd was mm-hmm. um early on. Um the Red Hat OpenShift Service Mesh, uh, solo.io is also a very um um kind of forward thinking company mm-hmm. behind ambient mesh and they have something called yeah. glue mesh. Um, but they're like, definitely go check out Solo.io because they're doing a whole bunch of awesome stuff in the, yep. uh, in the service mesh space, uh, Tetrate, TIGERA, Calico cloud, I guess, provide service mesh. I mean, I'm familiar with Calico uh, traffic. That's T R A E F I K. Labs also kind of uh, I, I think one that's uh, well-known and then obviously one from, VMware, Tanzu, and Service Mesh. And I'm sure there's ones I didn't talk about on here, but like just doing yeah.
1: a preliminary search, there's yeah. a
0: lot more than I originally thought. Yeah, uh, and I think one of the things
1: uh, that you definitely missed, even though I had access to this list before was the uh, are the people from uh, cilium right like cilium being a cni does some of these things at the cni level which is a really cool implementation details and they are using ebpf functionality so instead of running that proxy in the kernel user space they're actually leveraging ebpf and running all of this l4 proxy functionality in the kernel space so again this is a 101 level episode i don't know enough about what cilium actually does or how these things work together so anybody from cilium if you're listening to this maybe come on our pod and have like a deep dive discussion on service meshes and how, how you're using all of this to help customers. But yeah, that that was an, another one that I wanted to add to your list Ryan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes for uh, anyone who works at, you know, in this space, if you're a practitioner, or if you're working at one of these companies, yeah, please come uh, let us know. We'd love to talk to you uh, specifically about sort of what you're doing and and sort of dive into the details there. But um, I, you know, I think this has been a really good uh, 101 episode. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know that just doing these episodes are really valuable to myself, just if I'm less familiar with a certain area, this is a really Shame. good way to, to dive in here. Um, and again, we, we're we trying to learn with the community, open with the community. And uh, we know, you know, we're far from experts, so uh, we don't claim to be either. Um, so <laughs> if you're listening to this and know a lot more, please reach out to us. We'd like to to, yeah. to talk to you and learn more. Um, with that being said, we do want to talk about our wrap up because this is, as we said, the last episode not season of of season two (laughs) our long long season two um and um and talk about our plans for season three as well
1: Mm -hmm. so Bobin, how did season two go for you I think season 2 had a lot of ups I couldn't really think of any downs like uh, if you look at I can think of
0: one we applied uh, uh, we started loading our stuff onto YouTube and YouTube uh, said we were spam and kicked us off so we're trying to get back on YouTube
1: (laughs) I don't know how we are spam dude like uh, I think one of the things is we posted all the episodes together maybe that was it or it had like the same image but again people we did have a YouTube channel for a while and then for some reason YouTube decided it we'll get it back, back. We'll, we'll get, get it, it back, it back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, just to uh, discuss a few highlights of season two right uh, i i can't even remember the number of episodes that we had uh which was way more than what we did in season one but uh, yeah. uh just talking about the spotify unwrapped statistics we created over 1050 minutes of content so all of our listeners thank you so much like 1000 minutes just paying attention to someone is a lot of time so we do appreciate you for spending and giving us this thousand minutes of time in in this year thanks Um, for putting up for me with me for that long as well. (laughs) same (laughs) no and i think uh highlights right uh our podcast was heard in 62 countries which is awesome that means people in 62 countries care about kubernetes if not more uh definitely a growing ecosystem uh we 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 were amongst the top 20 most shared podcasts uh we were the top 10 followed podcasts in the kubernetes ecosystem so these are just some of the numbers that make us feel good and like encourage us to keep doing this and keep doing a better job at it pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw
0: coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar forty-nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba da ba ba ba. Absolutely, and you know, um, for all of our listeners, I think just again, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, we watch our, our plays and our listens every day and we're excited all the time as the amount of um, listeners go up. Uh, We're going to do some, we're going to do a lot more interesting things next year. Uh, We're going to expand to uh, video. Hopefully if all goes (laughs) well. Um, We got to get our YouTube channel back, but we're going to start recording video with our guests. I know a lot of uh, people like to consume uh, video based podcast it doesn't mean we're going to stop producing the audio only version that's yeah. going to still be there if you're if that's the way you listen i know it's the way i listen most of the time it will not change for you <laughs>
1: yeah. i know if you're um, mo- moving along doing house chores this is the best way like just put your airpods on uh, if you're a samsung user maybe buds and then just listen to our podcast
0: <laughs> exactly exactly we're we're definitely gonna um dive into uh, that some more. We're also mm-hmm. going to um, be doing maybe some sponsorship stuff. So yeah. that might mean a few times there's an ad here or there. We'll see. We, we've we liked this ad-free experience we've been mm-hmm. able to provide to our listeners. But, um, you know, a little bit of money coming in here and there allows us to do some more interesting things like provide a, a website for everyone to go to mm-hmm. to find, you know, a sort of an archive of episodes or, you know, find out some more information or maybe let us email you some stickers or that kind of stuff. Yes, right. So, yeah have some t-shirts finally right like i know this
1: year at kubecon we did sticker giveaway maybe next year we can bump it up to like t-shirts or hoodies and just grow this community
0: exactly and and you know when we do uh live in person episodes and bring all of our Mm -hmm. equipment to kubecons we you know it helps to fund those things so Mm -hmm. um you know hopefully we don't you know that's not an off put for anyone but we're going to definitely dive into that and if you are at a company and you do um you know podcast sponsorships reach out to us we, we'd we love to be able to do more for this community through um doing some more with you so um those are definitely some some big uh goals and aspirations for us but i know um again our listeners make everything um for this podcast and we could not yep. thank you enough
1: I know. Thank you so much uh, for all your time. And uh, I I just have like one, a couple of asks to end this episode and, 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 and end this year. If you're meeting your friends, meeting your family for holidays, if there is anybody who is mildly interested in the containers or Kubernetes ecosystem, share this podcast, right? Like each person sharing it with somebody they know helps us grow our audience. And obviously that's the best way to grow our audience as well, instead of just Having those promoted tweets on Twitter, I guess. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you meet uh, anyone in the ecosystem, please sh- uh, share this podcast. It definitely helps us grow the uh, grow our audience base. And then the second ask is something that we have mentioned over the last couple of episodes as well, right? If you have interesting stories to share, uh, if you have some gotchas that you want to share, or if you uh, had interesting experiences with Kubernetes, not just storage, but anything around like GitOps or eBPF or security, anything that we have covered throughout this year, share those clips, right? Uh, It's really easy. Open your voice memo app on your phone, record a quick clip, and email it to us at kubernetesbytes at gmail.com. Uh, send it to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, maybe individually to us. But yeah, do that during your holidays. It would be a fun episode for us to put together uh, and have the community voice heard as well through this uh, forum that we have going.
0: Yeah, and if you think like doing something like that is not enough time for what you want, we'd love to have you on the show. Like doing a (laughs) practitioner approach, um, Mm -hmm. you know, reach out to us if you want to do more than just that. Uh, we would be happy to have you on the show. And as Bhavan said, you know, this show started off as sort of a, Uh, persistence and storage Mm -hmm. based on our backgrounds, but we've, you know, obviously through a lot of episodes have grown beyond that. We're going to cover a lot of things in the cloud native and Kubernetes ecosystem. As you've probably heard our, um, you know, our episodes kind of expand and we're going to keep going down that route because I think that gives us a lot more we can talk about and share with uh, everybody. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback so far from our listeners. Um, And yeah, you know, again, I will just end by saying, you know, thank you, and we'll see you in uh, early to mid January. We'll <laughs> we're going to take a little break, but we already have a few guests um, yep. lined up to talk about a bunch of awesome things. You know, security and some some more stuff. So, um, you know, thank you, that, and yeah, yeah, happy holidays. Yeah, likewise, and with that, uh, brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Pavin, and thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes Podcast.